Speak to your children as if they are the wisest, kindest, most beautiful, and magical humans on earth. For what they believe is what they will become. Brooke Hampton. Just a good old boy, trying to be a good old man, out here learning on the fly, trying to do the best I Hello and welcome to the Faithful Fatherhood Podcast. I am Brett Etheridge, excited as always to be with you here from East Tennessee, joined by Perry Hughes, my co-host Perry from North Carolina. How are you doing this morning, Perry? Fantastic, brother. Thanks for asking. It's um, kind of one of those weeks here in Western North Carolina that is the spring teaser week. You know, it's like 70 during the day. And I just know because it's uh, end of February, beginning of March, we're not we're not here to stay. <laughs> so uh, I'm enjoying it while I can. I know we're going to get a little bit dip in cold weather again, but man, I got spring fever, brother. I, I uh, been getting outside a little bit with my kids, rode some dirt bikes with my kids uh, this week, did a few laps around the field, and man, it was fun. So that's kind of a uh, a nice little win, a fatherhood win for me this week as we were able to get outside and enjoy this. Uh, pre-spring, spring, and uh, just have some fun together. Yeah. That, yeah. How about you? That part, that part of things is nice. I, I must admit that my perspective has changed now that I live on a small five-acre farm with <laughs> growth that you wouldn't believe. I almost have this almost sense of like dread that oh my gosh, the sun's coming out, it's getting warm. I've got bugs. I've got you know wasps already. All this and yeah. growth, and it's like oh, the yard work is coming. It's about to, East Tennessee feels like it is going to just overtake you. It's this constant nonstop battle for like nine months not to be overtaken by. By nature. So I feel like we're at the front end of that. But other than that, no, my, my spirits are high, excited to be outside with my kids as well. And I've I've taken too long before introducing our special guest for today, Bill Craig. Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Perry. Good to be with you guys. And you're up in the Cincinnati area, right? I am. Yeah. So maybe a little Bengals colder. Fan, man. Yeah. Well, but- and, that, and that's, as I reflect back, we, we've had lots of conversations about NFL football. You're the Beng- See, the Bengals have fared. The Bengals, by the way, for those of you listening, maybe in other countries, not as familiar with uh, American football, the Bengals, I feel like, were the laughing stock of the NFL for, for decades. And, and when you and I were spending time together, so Bill, as by way of background, was my youth pastor uh, really throughout my high school years. And so really really for, formative years and Bill Bill Craig played such an important role in my life and so I just I thank you for that Bill we'll talk more about that and honor you for that but but a lot of what we did is hey we talk a little bit about the Bible and then sit around and talk about the Redskins which was my home team versus the Bengals his home team and the Bengals never won anything and now the Bengals are riding <laughs> high and threatening to make the Super Bowl every year and the Redskins are miserable and terrible and so things come full circle um but anyway, so from from Cincinnati, Ohio, and we, you know, we're, we're going to be talking just about all sorts of aspects around fatherhood today, I think, but perhaps with a little bit of an emphasis on adoptive fatherhood, because a big part of Perry, uh, not Perry, uh, Bill's story is that he came to fatherhood through adoption. And, and man, that was such an interesting model for me. When I watched you really kind of start to go through that process, Bill, when you adopted your children, it was it was something I hadn't been all that familiar with. And and watching you step into that role, and I obviously didn't know much of anything that was going on behind the scenes, but 
but on the on, on the front front facing side of things, just the way you just embraced it and and showed up with such love for your kids, and I know it was challenging, and I know it was hard, but you were just there and you were present, you were faithful. Um, man, what what just a cool model. And then I know, you know, it's been hard. There's ups and downs. I'm an adoptive father myself, and so so I think we're going to probably talk a lot about that aspect of fatherhood. But for those of you listening who maybe aren't adoptive fathers, that's that's totally fine because we're just going to talk about fatherhood in general and how to love our kids well and and lessons learned and what worked and didn't work. And so, so I'm excited for this conversation. Bill, as I mentioned, is in Cincinnati. He was my youth pastor years and years, decades ago at this point. He is currently the pastor for adult discipleship at Hope Church church in Mason, Ohio, big Cincinnati sports fan. And, uh, and yeah, and, and, and a humble guy. So, so I'll, I'll say this, you know, when I first approached you, Bill, thinking about fatherhood and who, who do I want to have conversations around fatherhood with on the podcast? And you certainly came to mind right away. And I approached you about it. Your first reaction was, oh yeah, I've made a bunch of mistakes. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. Like I, I've messed things oh. up. <laughs> oh. Um so so you're humble in that way, but I know you've also gotten a lot well. And so we'll dive into all of it. But let me let me just kind of throw it out to you first. What do you remember about your own childhood and your own father? What are some of your fondest memories of your own father? Yeah. Great question. And uh uh as you know I'd, I'd rather be uh, in some ways asking the questions than answering them. I love, I would love to, to hear all your learnings and, uh, and all those kinds of things. But, um, and, and the second thing to know is uh, I'm a rambler, so I'm going to try to be succinct. Um, <laughs> we'll rain you but, in. Uh, no promises. Please do. Please do. Um, so, uh, growing up, I would say I had a bit of a challenging relationship with my dad. Uh, I'm, I'm third of seven kids. Um, and, um, my dad, uh, wasn't by nature, a kid guy. Like, you know, I think he liked the idea of kids, but he didn't love playing with you. Know, he wouldn't get on his knees and play with us a whole, we'd throw football in the backyard, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and he was intentional with us. So some of the good memories are once a month, he would take me out on a day on a night out. So we go, he'd take me out to dinner and then I get to pick, do we go miniature golf? Do we go watch movies? Uh, a movie, uh, uh, he would inevitably sleep through the movie. And so it was an expensive <laughs> nap for him. Uh, those of us who are now dads can probably appreciate, but, um, uh, so, um, most of the fond memories were, were probably during those times, uh, that he invested individually. Um, he had a goal to get us to every uh, state in the continental U.S. And so one summer we did this massive West Coast trip and hit every state west of Ohio. And, That's cool. Uh, that was a, a good memory. Um, yeah, I'd say <clears throat> one last one was uh, in high school. Um, I was up for, uh, I went to a tiny little high school. Uh, so I was up for uh, homecoming king or homecoming court. And I'd, I'd kind of been voted by my peers on the homecoming court the previous three years. And But I was going through a tough time my senior year. And I just thought, man, it'd be really a boost to me if I could get on the, you know, get on the court or be, be homecoming king. And, and uh, I didn't get either one. And I'm walking off. It was such a small school. We didn't have football. So it was basketball homecoming. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of... S- 
slumped kind of walking off the the basketball court so disappointed and uh walking by my dad who was standing right by the door to the gym and i'm like oh boy he's gonna correct me for pouting and tell me to uh cheer up or whatever uh and he just looked at me with tears in his eyes and said hang in there tiger Hmm. hang in there tiger and that moment of uh, just comfort and grace from dad was a really meaningful one Uh, but we were very different people very different personalities and uh, so it was hard to connect a lot in a lot of ways. And so it sounds like, yeah, there is that sort of dual facets then of what you saw with your own father. You, you, you had a sense that he wasn't a kid, a kid person. And I wonder if, if a kid recognizes that. Did you sort of know that even as you were a kid, but that he still made the effort? He knew it was important to do things with you, to travel with you, to be there for you, to come to your basketball games and things like that. And so, so I guess my question would be, you know, we, we all carry things into our own fathering, whether good or bad, and we either have uh, you know, a, a clear picture of what we want our fatherhood to like, things that we want to duplicate from our own father, things that we want to leave behind and and maybe do differently or better. How would you say then experiencing your own father's uh, presence in your life, how did that influence and impact how you then wanted to show up as a father yourself? I think two things that I'm even only recently uh, appreciating more, um, but certainly um, wanting to follow the example of his modeling of intentionality in our, in the time that he spent with us yeah, for sure. And actually I didn't do that great. I, I, I was intentional about being with the girls. So the kids, uh, came in separate times. Our, our, our four daughters actually, and I I don't want to get too much into this, uh, now, because we're talking about my past, but, um, the uh, uh, the girls, I did a good job spending time with them as a group collectively, but not a great job individually pulling them aside. And mm-hmm. um, so anyway, so that's one thing um, that uh, um, I sort of took away from my my dad's fathering and, and impacted how I wanted to to uh, be intentional with the kids. Um, and then the second thing uh, that I took that I wanted to be intentional about is um, he wanted us to have experiences that would uh, develop us as people, you know. So the whole thing of seeing every state west of the U.S. and taking us to some of the historical sites and and imparting some of that sense of history to us, uh, he uh, he wanted us to experience every kind of travel. So we flew, we 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 did a tra- an overnight train car. We did these different uh, experiences that um, uh, he just wanted to build into us. And so uh, that has impacted. I've been thinking about that with my own kids. And um, but uh, and is that something then? So you're you're intentional thinking about initiating your own kids. We on the podcast we spent a few episodes on different 
different aspects of, of what John Eldridge calls the masculine journey in his book, Fathered by God. And there's this, this idea of intentional initiation of your kids, helping to initiate them through the different stages of their, their development. And so it sounds like that's something your dad did try to do with you and that you have been, it sounds like maybe intentional or have you been intentional in trying to initiate your own kids then in certain ways, things that you want to expose them to, life lessons that you want them to learn in the context of just living life. How how maybe have you then tried to to initiate your own kids that way? Yeah. Um I would say, you know, we'd certainly try to mark the natural markers with yeah. them and say, you know, the driver's license is one of those things that to, to celebrate that big, but then to also acknowledge the responsibility of that and and to talk through uh, how important that is and um, that kind of thing. Certainly graduations, we, we, we were trying to be intentional about um, celebrating and launching and all those kinds of things. I, I'd say, again, um, I didn't do that as well with our girls uh, as I, uh, I'm trying to do now. We have a 16-year-old son, uh, Brandon, and uh, actually just this year started a, um, a a journey into manhood kind of thing that uh, has has really been fun and marked it with a big initiation day and hey we're going to launch this thing for the next two and a half years um until you are leave home um we're gonna we're gonna be intentional about uh, a lot of things so um so that's been a lot of fun so i want to spend i want to that's really cool because perry and i talk a lot about that i want to i want to pick your brain on that so that's something i want to circle back to Let's just rewind a little bit more though. Did did you always want to be a father? Because, you know, in the intro I talked about how how you adopted your children early on. How did that process come about? How did you and Christine um decide that that's a route you wanted to go? Maybe talk us through your mindset, your heart at the time. Why adoption and and how did that whole process unfold for you? Yeah. Great question. I yeah, I think both Christine and I were a little bit uh, different from our friends in that, you know, my, our friendship group um, seemed like everybody was super excited to, to have kids once they got married. It was, that was the thing. And, uh, and we were, uh, we assumed we would always have our own biological kids at some point, but it was never a, a driving, uh, it, it wasn't the driving force for us. Uh, so we were just kind of like, okay, we'll just kind of live life and discern where the Lord would have us go and assuming that kids will be part of the picture someday. And, um, but we had a, a stronger sense that God was leading us into foster care mm. to be, um, uh, you know, we had exposure to a lot of kids who didn't have loving homes. Uh, we spent a summer in Ethiopia. We saw this band of kids that had been abandoned at the hospital and they just we asked the, the doctors and nurses what are these kids and they said they, these are some of them were like 12 13 years old they've been wow. raised in the hospital abandoned by parents essentially raised by doctors and nurses and we came home from that saying man what what do we do how do we have an impact uh, uh provide a home for kids who need a home my wife taught uh 
in PG County in the DC area, Prince George's County, which is kind of a tough uh, area of town. She had a lot of uh, foster kids in her class and um, she got to know a foster care agency through that. And so we just said, we just sense our first call right now is to be a temporary loving home for kids that need it. And the heart was let's that we would work with the moms to help them get their kids back any way we could help yeah. or whatever. We wanted to be a champion for the mom being able to raise her kids. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's what we started. And um, we're in the specialized infant program. So kids age two and under who had special needs of various kind, kinds. Um, and Mia, Tamia is her full name, uh, goes by Mia. Um, she was a year and a half old and had cerebral palsy. So we got flagged for her, but she had three sisters. She had a twin sister, Leah, and then a, uh, a three-year-old sister, Tierra, and a five-year-old sister, Takia. And um, so we get this call, and would you be open to... Uh, we thought initially it was three different cases, you know, like, hey, you can come and see which might be the best fit for you all. Right. And, uh, and they're like, no, no, actually, it's the, it's their sisters. And so we're looking for a home for all four of them. And uh, we're like, oh, wow. Uh, how long? <laughs> and they said uh, two to three months, we think. And we said, oh, well, we can we can do anything for two to three months. Right. So. Um, so October 14th, 1998, they were. Uh, brought to our home by the social worker with all their earthly possessions and wow. garbage bags. And Mia was in the hospital at the time with some uh, respiratory challenges. But um, yeah, so that's how it started. Uh, was just adoption was not on our mind at all, actually. We just said, we'll, we'll be a temporary loving home. Uh, and then at some point we'll start our family and have our own kids and maybe we'll continue foster care and maybe we'll go in and out. We didn't know, but, uh, but here we are 24 plus years later and, um, still a family. So the Lord had other plans for yeah. us. Uh, and I was talking to Christine about this this morning and, uh, that was one, one point she said was, yeah, she said, tell them that foster care and adoption isn't always the last option you know it's like a lot of people think of adoption and foster care as what you do when you can't have kids of your own mm. uh it's it's a plan b you know um but uh but uh, for us anyway our journey was it was plan a uh that was what the lord led us down and we always talked about with our own kids biological kids we'd have uh, two two we thought would be a good number uh and this you know, with the first placement being twice that, we said, man, we don't have capacity to start having our own kids biologically. Sure. And um, so we never tried uh, to have kids um, and uh, being more convinced that this was what God's call for us was. So, so Brandon's adopted as well? Brandon's adopted as well. So for seven years, we did a transitional maternity home in Maryland. Um, where pregnant women would come and live with us uh, anytime during their pregnancy up to about six months after they gave birth, just to kind of give them time to bond with their child and get a job and get all connected before they had to, to live on their own. And um, so uh, Brandon's mom was one of our 
moms, one of our guests uh, who lived in our home with us. And um, long story short, she ended up losing custody of Brandon and they asked if we would adopt him. So he came along 10 years later than the girls. Yeah. So I, I love what Christine said about adoption and foster care not being not being plan B. It's it's so cool when God has other plans. And I think the key though was that your heart was open to to whatever God had for you. We it there's a lot of similarities. Melanie and I, so my wife, uh, we kept saying, eh, we'll have kids in five years, right? So we got married and it's like, yeah, maybe in five years we'll have kids. And then every year it was like five years, five years. So we just kept pushing the ball down the field. And and I think God eventually decided, you know what? <laughs> you guys are waiting way too long. I've got other plans for you. So he ended up uh through a series of circumstances, you know, giving us two kids that that we adopted first before end up ending up having a couple of biological kids of our own. But um, yeah, it's really cool when when he does that. So it sounded like it sounds like you know it, at first the mindset was we have some love to give. We'll open up our home two to three months. Anybody can do it for two to three months. How does the heart change? And at what, like, how does the process happen to where you take on the role of father and, and at some point legally you actually adopt them? So legally they're, they're yours, but there's a big difference between being legally somebody's parent or guardian or father and at a heart level wanting to pour into them and love them and having that unconditional love. And um, I just think... For myself, having tried to go still on that journey, going through that journey, and I think for a lot of people listening to this, especially if if they've adopted, to me that's the hard part. That's that's the question: is how do you allow allow your heart to change, to just have that love that the kids need, to where they know it's not fake, to where they know you you're just their father, you just love them, they're yours. You know, do you understand the question? Yeah. What, like, what, talk do, to me about yeah. that process. What was that process like for you? And I, I know it probably never stops, but yeah, but yeah, what what was that like? Yeah, it's it's uh, it was for us, um, and maybe unfortunately, uh, a gradual thing. Um, so at first, as a foster parent, the mentality is okay. I'm just a, a caregiver, essentially. I'm I'm a substitute caregiver. Uh, and, you know, uh, trying to just love them well while they're in our home. Um, but as a foster parent, there are a lot of decisions you can't make for them. Yeah. Right. I mean, uh, we were allowed to take them to church. Uh, I think the foster care agency didn't love that necessarily, but it was like, okay, um, you can raise them in whatever faith you have or whatever, but, uh, you know, there were things that we couldn't, decisions we couldn't make for them because they weren't our biological children. We weren't um, legally their parents. So anyway, um, so that it started as, okay, we're, we're just going to love them well. And there was a little bit of a heart distance there, I think, um, maybe a protective uh, defense mechanism there that I don't want to go too let my heart get too connected because they're only here for a short time. Um, but then when it became clear over a couple of years uh, that um, they were not going to go back 
to their mother and um, that adoption was the route. It was, uh, okay, now there's there's a shift of mentality of um, this is going to be a permanent thing. And I, I think, I don't know, the, th the thing I've been kind of realizing lately is um, I think I saw myself as once the adoption was happening, that I was a replacement for their biological dad, right? Okay, I'm the dad now. And so I'm just going to uh, be all in and I will be your dad. Um, and now looking back on it, I don't know that that was the right call. Certainly for, for, from my heart, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to be all in. I'm going to love you as best I know how. Um, I just had my initiation day with Brandon uh, back in January for this discipleship journey. Uh, I was kind of sharing some things with him over dinner. And, and I said, Brandon, when I signed the adoption papers, what I was saying was that you were going to be the most important man of my life hmm. for the rest of my life. You're going to be the most important man of my life. Um, and I'm going to be all in. Um, so, uh, so that shouldn't change, but, um, but I, I, I can't ever replace their biological parent. I will never be the one that God used to give them physical life. Interesting. And so acknowledging that, uh, giving permission for them to wonder about their biological dad, uh, biological mom, um, that, uh, um, it, it's sort of a, um, even though it wasn't like an open adoption or anything like that, uh, it was a little bit different for the girls and for Brandon. Uh, the girls, there's, there was essentially no contact from adoption until they graduated high school. Um, Brandon had ongoing connection with his mom uh, and grandmother uh, and brother. Uh, so, um, so it's a little bit different. But uh, I think one of the things I wish I had done differently was be more hospitable, maybe is the right, uh, in, in a heart space toward her, toward the girl's biological parents, like inviting, even not, not physically necessarily, uh, but inviting them into our lives and, yeah. and just, um, I mean, they always knew they were adopted and they knew they had a, a mom. Um, one of the decisions we made with the girls early on, once the adoption was finalized, was um, that we weren't going to facilitate connection with their biological mom until they graduated high school. <laughs> During those foster care years, the mom was super inconsistent. Like she would call and say she wanted to visit and then she wouldn't show up. And so Christine would take the kids down there. They'd be either excited or nervous, depending on which of the girls, you know, they, they had different relationships with their mom, even as sisters. Um, Sakia, the oldest loved being with her mom in those visits in those early days. Tierra and Leah and Mia did not love being with their mom in those early days. And so anyway, so they would, 
on the day that there was a visit, the three younger ones would come back screaming and crying because it was traumatizing for them. On the days that she didn't show up, Takia would come back screaming and crying yeah. because she, you know, so it was just, it was tumultuous emotionally. And uh, it just wasn't a healthy uh, addition to their life to have time with their mom. And one of the things we wanted to avoid was kind of the divorced parent thing of, I'm mad at you once they got older. I'm mad at you, mom, dad, because you're having these rules. They call they call us mama and papa, or mom and papa. Um, uh, I'm I'm mad at you. I'm going to go live with my real mom. Yeah, you know, like we, we didn't want to get into that kind of tug of war, and it certainly would have been, especially with our oldest. She would yeah. have. It would have been back and forth, in and out, and so we said, Takia, as soon as you graduate high school. We will do whatever we have to do to help you find your mom. We'll we'll pay whatever we have to pay. We'll, I mean. So you're uh, saying it. You're saying it would have been if you hadn't explained that to her. It it would have been. It would have been a. It would have been that tug of war. Her desiring to reconnect. If you hadn't made clear that when you're 18, we'll facilitate that. That's right. That's right. If we and if if we had not. Um, made that boundary clear that it's not going to happen until you're 18. Yes. You know, like right. we're, uh, we're just not going to help you facilitate that because it hasn't been a healthy relationship. We feel the responsibility to get you through high school, to get you launched into life, and then, um, and we think that actually you connecting with her. We didn't say these words to her, but that connecting with her biological mom would have been a barrier to that launch rather than a help to her launch. Now, I, honestly, today I don't know if that's true or not. Um, she, Takia, the oldest, uh, and, and it was interesting with the girls when to, when they first came. Takia, if she, when she said mom, she was talking about their biological mom. When Tierra said mom, she was talking about the previous foster mom. Uh, and when the, tw- when the twins came, they weren't talking. So, um, uh, but they had different, even women in mind for who mom was. Um, but, uh, um, but Takia, the oldest for sure, had a lot of memories with her mom, still has good memory. I mean, still has a she remembers an amazing amount of stuff from her first six years. It's amazing, way more than I do um, from, from my six years. But um, uh, but it was a real challenge for Takia uh, to wonder where her mom was, To way more than she let on. Like we didn't find out until kind of later in high school, like so much of her daydreaming. That was one of the big comments of her teachers growing up. Uh, man, Takia is just date. It's hard to get her attention. She's daydreaming a lot. And Takia's like, yeah, I was thinking about my mom mm-hmm. and where she was yeah. and what she was doing. And so knowing what we know now, would we have facilitated, would we have taken that risk and said, okay, let's make this happen um, earlier rather than later. She did. She's the only one who ended up connecting with her biological mom uh, after high school. She said, you know, she, she had done a little research and said, if I buy this $50 report, I could get some contact information on, on my mom. And I said, we'll buy the report so you can 
find her. And she just showed up on her biological mom's door and knocked on the door. Wow. Quite a moment. So, um, yeah, but now it's, it's, it's more broken than, than, uh, anything, you know, it's, uh, their relationship today. Um, so anyway, it's, it's super complicated and I don't know all the right answers. Am I hearing you right that you're saying in hindsight, you would have want, you think you would have tried to facilitate that more reaching out to a biological mom, inviting her to, to kind of come into the fold of, you know, a picnic lunch or experiencing, you know, what y'all are doing as a family. Am I hearing that right? That you're saying in hindsight, you think you would have wanted to do that more? Uh, I, I, it's accurate that I think, um, Today, I wonder if it might have been better, at least for Takia, to have more contact with her biological mom in those earlier years. Um, because I imagine that's a, I had, don't have any adoptive kids. I've never done any fostering, you know, nothing like that. But I would imagine that that question, how much, con- how much contact with biological mom is kind of, the big question for so many adoptive parents. And so, you know, to me, from the outside looking in, I'm just thinking about our listeners, you know, there's probably some stuff to unpack here that can help, you know, people look at that decision with some wisdom that you bring to the table from being able to look back in the past. And so maybe it's not clear cut. Yes, it's always this way. Do more involvement with biological mom or dad or no, don't. And maybe it's not even, uh, all the same for all the kids. I mean, you, y'all adopted sisters and you're saying, well, you know, for the oldest, it made more sense. And for the others, it did not. And so, you know, it's not necessarily what I'm hearing is not necessarily even the same answer within, uh, an adoptive, you know, sibling structure. Is that right? I, I think that's I think that's potentially right. It's sure. uh, <laughs> um, uh, and, and to clarify, um, it would have been very hard to make that decision. It, it's that's not a decision we would have enjoyed making. Um, uh, looking back, is it a decision that would have been more helpful for Takia, especially? I, my sense is it may have been. Um, and that it may have been worth the wars, which sure. certainly would have come. Right. Of nope, you're not going to go live with your biological mom right now. I mean, it's. Um, but um, just because so much of her earlier years, and again, we didn't really know. As you might suspect, foster and adoptive kids often want to please their foster and adoptive parents, right? Sure. uh, In some ways, because they can't take rejection again, right? It's like, I, uh, and so uh, for whatever reason they were taken from their mom or given by their mom, uh, it's experienced as a profound rejection. And I don't want to get rejected by these parents too. And so I'm going to, I'm going to toe the line. that's one strategy. The other strategy is I'm going to, um, essentially, I'm going to break up with you before you break up with me. So I'm going to come at you with all the ugliness I can, because it's inevitable that someday you're going to reject me. So I'm just going to make that quicker so that I don't get hurt. Uh, but um, anyway, so, you know, the Takia 
um, wanted to uh, please us and so didn't talk a lot about how much she was hurting about her her biological mom and not knowing where she was but um, but man knowing finding out late in high school how much of a torment that was for her all those years I'm thinking oh boy it may have been more helpful I don't know. sure one of the things I I just remind myself and I would suggest here and get your thoughts on this bill is that there's a reason the children are in the foster care system or are in need of adoption to begin with. And it stems from shortcomings of the biological parents. There's the biological parents haven't shown up for their kids the way they need to, which is why they're in the foster care system or being adoptive in the first place. And what that says to me and what that means to me is then as we step into the role of father or mother, we have an obligation to to guard their hearts, to protect them. That's part of our role when we step into the fatherhood role in this case. And yes, all those thoughts might be swirling around in their own mind and they might romanticize mom or dad. And yet we know elements of the truth that they don't. We know certainly some things that may have happened to them that their minds have blocked out from an abuse standpoint, for example, um, mm-hmm. and so forth. And, and things that we can't even necessarily explain to our young adopted children in the moment because they can't understand it or process it or and we don't want to talk bad about their biological mom or dad. And yet it's still our job and our obligation to protect them. And so putting up some of those barriers, I mean, I hear what you're saying. It's always easy to, to try to rewrite history or woulda, shoulda, coulda, or in retrospect, I might have. But in the moment, if your heart is, I need to protect my child, it's my job to protect their heart. And I know I know that it just wasn't and isn't going to be a great thing for them right now to have that relationship with the biological parents. Yeah, it's just it's just kind of what you have to do, you know, it's, and, and it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, there's no question, particularly uh, if there's a physical abuse situation that, uh, or a sexual abuse situation, that, that to me uh, changes the conversation pretty significantly uh, and the discernment. And it's, this is one of those things I would never personally make a blanket statement sure. on, on what's wise. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's each one trying to discern uh, prayerfully discern what's what's the right thing for their kids, and it may be different for the different kids. Um, but I, um, I guess the encouragement would be to consider that it may be more helpful than you think it would be yeah. for them to have contact with their biological parent at some point before they're eighteen. Um, and I don't know what point that happens and. But uh, there's just, uh, it, on the one hand, we want to protect them from the hurt of that relationship. But what we're facilitating in some ways is the ongoing hurt and wondering and questions that they have about what life would be like. And That's right. So, you know I mean, so it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's hard. And I think, I think the question we then as adoptive fathers need to ask is what is the motivation of our own heart and what i mean by that is i think it's easy when we're going to step into the role of father in this case 
to maybe feel threatened by the biological father. And if that's the motivation, then it's, I'm going to keep you from your biological father or mother. I'm going to have this tight control over you because what? Because I feel threatened because I'm afraid that you'll want to go live with him, that you'll want to have a more of a relationship with him than with me, but I'm your father now. And and all these thoughts can swirl around in your own mind. And one of the things that, and in your case, you're talking a lot about them wanting to connect with their biological mother. That would be a conversation maybe for Christine, how she feels about that. Did she ever feel threatened? Be, because I haven't heard you talk about their biological father and wanting to connect with him and so forth. And so maybe you don't feel threatened because he's not in the picture at all. So that's a non-issue for you. I think what I would say is, and from my own experience is, kids, kids know, you know, they, they can see differences. They can see if you do give them the opportunity, like you're talking about, Bill, to have some relationship with the biological parents, they can, in black and white, compare and contrast it with their current living environment. And here's how my father, Bill Craig, shows up as father for me. Oh my gosh, thank goodness I live with him. You, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, and if you withhold that ability, then there's always the wondering. But if they sh- if they can see it side by side, you know they're not dumb. They, they they see what's going on. They see the writing on the wall, and they 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 may see that, and they still can love their biological parents, and they can still have a certain deep, perhaps longing in their heart there. But they'll see the shortcomings. They'll recognize the really just how good God is to have put them in a maybe a a more loving, caring home that can help them in life. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, and and <clears throat> yeah. So and just a uh, quick comment on that. So Takia also did connect with her biological dad. Okay. Um, and uh, it was later, uh, but not a ton later than she connected with her mom. And that's been an up and down relationship. Mostly now, it's it's probably more positive than her relationship with her mom. Um, and I have. I personally have experienced that as addition, not subtraction. You know, it's like, it's great that she has that connection with her biological dad. And again, I will never be her biological dad. And uh, so to me, what has to come first is her flourishing. And I do think that in this case, and maybe in, in certainly in many cases, her flourishing involves having some resolution around her relationship with her biological parents if it's possible and um uh so again none of the other girls uh you know mia has cerebral palsy and uh is um thinks differently about these kinds of things but uh but lee and tiara have never sought out their biological mom they've never asked about biological dads um and um so it is it is different for each one, but uh um yeah, that's a hard that's a hard thing. <clears throat> the other thing I'd just say quickly is um you know, like you said, the motivation, Brett, of uh what's the motivation of the heart that is the is the big question for me. Um one uh I don't know if you ever saw the movie Tree of Life, Brad Pitt. 
No. It was we- it's a weird movie. <laughs> I, I, don't, I wouldn't recommend it. It's bizarre to me. Uh, like it's 20 minutes of uh, in the middle is like these whales floating around the ocean and you're hearing their songs. And I'm like, what does this have to do with it? It's bizarre. <laughs> but uh, Brad Pitt is uh, an emotionally abusive father in this movie. He's just screaming at his kids, rarely physical. In fact, I don't know if he was ever physically abusive in the movie but certainly there was the 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 fear of that just uncontrollable rage he's expressing to his kids uh and there's a voiceover at one point that he's screaming at his son and a voiceover says uh, i made my son feel shame that day my shame and i thought wow that's so powerful uh how much do we make our kids feel our shame uh and so uh and and related to that how much do we make our kids feel our lack of feeling loved right so to me so foundational in all of this is to um to me, the most important thing about me is not that I'm a father. The most important thing about me is that I'm a son. Uh, I am an adopted son of the living God who had no reason to adopt me, had no reason to love me, only to reject me. I, I deserved only his judgment. And he, in that state, set his heart on me and made a way for me to become his kid. Uh, and there's no joy. There's no joy in life like being his kid and knowing his undeserved love. It's still undeserved in this moment. Um, and his love just keeps coming. And uh, his generosity just keeps coming. And his wisdom and his conviction and his help. Uh, and so uh, to be pursuing that father relationship and living life as his kid and then out of that space of being loved and being forgiven to be able to to truly be free to love others without the same level of need for being loved in return i mean i think there's always that kind of you know longing there where i don't know if need is too strong a word but um one of our phrases um what uh through especially it, it came up in the um the transitional maternity home actually is we had the first four moms came and went and we had these grandiose delusions of the impact that their time in our home would make on their life right like oh they're going to come in and we're going to just love them and we're going to be we're going to model flawed but uh, but lives that love Jesus and ask forgiveness when we blow it and they're going to be maybe they'll come to know jesus themselves and maybe they'll be better moms to their kids and their lives will be more healthy and whole and then the first four moms came and went and went right back in to the life they had before they came and so we're in like this crisis like what are we doing like this this is making zero impact on anyone's life um and uh so as i'm wrestling through that uh the thought hit me i can't think of anywhere in scripture where it says love others 
so that some good will come in their life. It's always love because. I have loved, love others because I have loved you and because I've loved them. And so it's this, rather than loving so that, loving with an agenda almost, because that leads to manipulation, right? Like, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm gonna, and they sense it, right? Like, I'm going to love you so that your life turns out a certain way. Uh, I'm going to love you so that these certain outcomes happen. Uh, and then we end up manipulating them unconsciously, hopefully, uh, but it's still manipulation uh, to, to try to get them to behave in the ways that we want them to behave, that we hope that our love is impacting them in that way. And, uh, and I thought, oh, man, I've got to love freely. Yeah. That I'm offering them love as a gift because I've been given love as a gift and I can't control the impact that that love will or won't have. And so to think, to go from that to then to apply that to our kids, I'm like, it's the same. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same. If I love them so that an outcome will happen, I'm always going to be manipulating them toward that outcome. Um, And how do you separate that from? loving with a desire that good things happen in their life. Of course we want those things, right? We long for them to know Jesus. We long for them to know uh, a flourishing life where they're using their gifts and reward, you know, having rewarding work and uh, all those things. Um, We desire those things for them. But if we're trying to love them in a way to make that happen, it just starts to fall apart, I think so. But I think it comes naturally then if we love our kids the way that you're talking about. I, I was literally just on on the drive to school this morning with my kids talking about this exact concept. I said, how do you think your life would be different? How do you think you would live life? How do you think you would operate in life if you at such a deep level knew that you were loved by God like and internalized it to such a depth that, you know, you just you just knew you are loved you're blanketed in that love and they i don't even know if they understood what i was really asking and then we kind of talked through it a little bit and, and unpacked it a little bit and and i think I, to me i think the answer is that you live in freedom that the extension of of feeling loved that way is freedom and then if you live life in that place of freedom there's confidence you you care much less about what other people think about you. Yeah. you you know all of these things because you just know your father loves you does it make sense and yes, so absolutely so we don't love them to produce that outcome but if we love them well that outcome should naturally happen they will live in more freedom they will live in more confidence and abundance and so forth flowing from that and and just to maybe bring this full circle I think this is just a beautiful way to to wrap up this conversation. I thank you for sharing that, Bill. I think about then the conversation, though, that you had with Brandon. Back back to thinking about, okay, how do we execute this in an adoptive relationship? I imagine the conversation that you had with Brandon at the outset of this journey where you explained, I have chosen you just as my father adopted me, even though I didn't deserve it. I, as your father adopt you. I love you. I choose you. You are mine. You are my beloved, not for anything that I need from you or want from you, just because. Man, that's got to open him up. 
right? So what have you seen there? Talk a little bit more about that. How, how have you seen that impact him? And and what are, what is sort of your thoughts then about about what an adoptive father might need? Is it helpful to have an actual conversation around those lines? Um, would it may have, maybe have been helpful to have a, a similar conversation with Takia, for example? And have, mm-hmm. would that have alleviated then some of her feeling like she needs to protect herself because he's just going to leave me as well? You know, those types of things, giving the safety and security to your children by having a conversation like that. Yeah, and I guess... I guess the response is that um, I would hope and and even expect that communicating that message to him and him receiving it would have a helpful, beneficial impact on on his life. I think in some ways, the more they know they are loved and they are safe in that love, the freer they will be to respond in ugly ways mm. you know what i mean uh, because they there's not there's not the fear as their fear of rejection diminishes the f- the freedom to act out in ways that aren't healthy that's a good point increases yeah that's a right? great point they're so not putting on a I, show I think, they're not just trying to please you they're not telling you what you want to hear they're not performing exactly yeah. exactly yeah so actually we've had a couple since that conversation had a couple of pretty significant moments of defiance from Brandon, Mm -hmm. um, where he's challenging my, uh, authority. Uh, and that's been hard to navigate, but I, I I hope that at least what that's coming from a place of, okay, I'm safe to be who I am now and who I am is not all beautiful. He wouldn't frame it that way, but it's true. <laughs> uh, and it's true of me too. Uh, so, um, yeah, so that uh, I don't want to paint with rose-colored glasses or whatever, um, or view with rose-colored glasses, the impact that him feeling safe will have. Actually, it, it will probably get harder before it gets easier because he'll start being free to act out knowing that that love uh, is still going to be there. But that's where then you coming alongside him in that and initiating him. You said, hey, we got a two and a half year journey together to bring you into manhood. You can help channel that and, and speak life into his life and and correct in this way and and just be there every step of the way. That's that's That just opens the door for deep relationship between you and Brandon. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And in one of those blow ups um, where he was defiant and I was bringing in some discipline, he was starting to yell. Uh, and I said, dude, you got to take some time. And when you're calm, we'll continue the conversation. So uh, and he uh, that escalated at first. Uh, dude, you got to take some time. And when you're calm, we'll, we'll, we'll carry on the conversation. So he went up to his room and then he came down later and we had a calm conversation. I think he would, it still didn't have the outcome that he wanted, but it was like, uh, but, but I was able to affirm him about that later. Say, dude, you came back and, and you, and we had a, a dialogue and uh, well done. Yeah. Well done. Uh, 
So it, to, to me, it's all about, you guys know this, uh, parenting is not about doing it all right, but how do we, how do we handle our failures um, and circle back? That is, is a greater witness to the life of God in us, I think, the life of Jesus in us than any of our successes are. Um, we blow it and then we say, I blew it and I need to ask your forgiveness or uh, we're going to walk. We're going to make it through this. That's, that's one of the things I say in premarital counseling all the time. That I say in families all the time. I say, when you're having a fight with your spouse, somebody be the first to say, we're going to get through this. Mm. We're, going to, we're going to get through this. I'm really mad. I, you're mad. We're, we're going to get through this. You know, like just speak that into, uh, and same with, same with the kids. Like, hey, we're going to get mad at each other. You're going to get mad at me. I'm going to get mad at you. Some of that anger is going to be appropriate and some of that's going to be inappropriate. Some of the expressions of that anger are going to be appropriate and some of them are going to be inappropriate. And what, so one, one of the things that this journey, this journey, uh, discipleship journey do is you, you, you start with some gifts uh, that represent the journey. And so one of the things I gave him was a pack that like a, a that he could wear on his chest that to carry stuff or whatever, like a military type pack. And I said, I want to be filling your pack over the course of these next couple of years. Um, with tools that you'll need for life. And one of the tools I gave him right there that first dinner was a first aid kit. And I said, dude, you're going to get hurt. In this journey to manhood, you're going to get hurt. You're going to be wounded. And I'm going to be part of that wounding, not intentionally, but I'm, I'm going to wound you. And I want to be um, a father. And I, I want you to be a son that's committed to healing in the relationship between us and that we would be healers of people who are around us. Uh, and so um, we're going we're gonna to make it through. That's awesome. And I just want to point out too, in case listeners weren't connecting the dots on this part, because it was very evident to me, um, you had this conversation about your unconditional love. And that frees the child to while out, gnash the teeth, get belligerent, whatever. And then you follow that up with unconditional love. And mm -hmm. so, yes, telling your kids, I love you. You're my beloved. There's nothing that can change that, right? And expressing this God-modeled, uh, God-given capacity for love without expectation, without manipulation, without all the things, right? We express that to our kids, explain it to them. They get it. They while out. And then we do it. We love them in it anyway. And so, yes, it might get harder before it gets better, 100%. But also, it that process enables our kids, uh, biological or adopted, to realize the authenticity of that love and to experience it and to feel it and embrace it. And it allows us as fathers the opportunity to express that godly love to our children. And so um, that's a beautiful model. And I could see how exactly how it, ins it instigates a little bit of, uh, uh, of uh, you know, backlash from the kids, right? <laughs> because yes. they do feel that freedom to be their authentic self. But that's the picture of God's love. He loves us in spite of ourselves, in spite of while, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so that's the exact picture of God's love. It's the exact picture of 
his heart for us. And it's the model that we strive as Christ following fathers to implore to our children, to provide for our children. And so what a beautiful picture. And I just wanted to make sure to circle back to that and make sure we, we connected those dots and said, yeah, absolutely. Um, all that stuff makes sense, but it is the embodiment as they kind of puff up or, you know, act out or whatever their true self comes. It's us being able to embody that unconditional love and have them experience it firsthand, you know, in a, with us. Yeah, the absolute. And the only way we can do that, I believe, is if we are passionately pursuing a relationship with our Heavenly Father, experiencing His love for us. If the number one joy in my life is the love of my kids, I'm going to be a wreck. I'm going to be responding to them out of brokenness. When they aren't giving me the love that I need, I'm going to lash out in anger. Um, but if I'm, if the great joy in my life is God's love for me yeah, and their love for me is a bonus and whatever comes, <laughs> it's like, okay, now I'm free to love you because it's, it's, uh, because I don't need you to love me back. And that's, uh, that's where the whole allowing them to go re reunite with their biological mother, biological father. I can free you to do that. There are going to be places that are hurtful about that potentially or you know um but man if i'm receiving the love of a heavenly father it just gives me the freedom to love them like i never could if i needed their love for me to be happy you know so well i thank you for for sharing that so eloquently because this conversation has in a lot of ways shifted my own thinking about my own relationship with my adopted children and just just for adoptive relationships in general. Um, can't thank you enough, Bill, for sharing your heart, for sharing your perspective, some of your successes, some of your failures, some of your learnings. Um, man, I just appreciate you, brother. Thank you for it, – it's really cool um, that you can go years sometimes without even – talking to somebody and, yeah. and sort of fall right back into, man, you're just, we, we have that relationship. And I thank you for, for showing up on this podcast to have this conversation and uh, yeah, just honor you and, and bless you. Well, thank you, man. I was, was looking forward to the chance to reconnect with you, Brett, and uh, want to have another time where I'm asking all the questions. And, uh, <laughs> I know what that's like. <laughs> and, and jotting some things down uh, of learnings that you uh, you guys have had. Uh, but anyway, um, in it together, in it together. In it together. God's grace abounds. Thanks be to God that his grace abounds. And um, Amen man. Well, yeah. thank you to the listeners. We hope you have found this episode helpful. As always, if you have questions, reach out to us. If, if you want to reach out to Bill directly, um, well, I don't know, Bill, is there, do you have, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, yeah. My email address is bcraig at hopemason, H-O-P-E, mason, M-A-S-O-N.org. Okay. I'll put that in the show notes. And um, yeah, you can always reach out to us as well, faithfulfatherhood2015 at gmail.com. And yeah, have a great rest of your day, everyone. We will be back in your feed soon with more great episodes. Give us those five-star reviews and, uh, and we'll talk with you again soon on the Faithful Fatherhood Podcast. Take care, everyone. Bye.